Thanks, Sandy, for jumping in there and uh, bringing our reading to us this morning. Apologies, Anna. Um, not sure what's going on there, uh, but you did a cracking uh, job of, of that reading. I watched it, so I know you did a good job. Uh, we will have to. What that means is is that you us you still owe us a reading, so um, we might get you to do another one at another time. I just want to add my welcome to that of Sandy's and Robin's uh, that's already been uh, given this morning and just welcome you. It's great to be able to have you uh, here uh, streaming in on what we're calling Freeway Live, our channel this morning. It's great that we can still stay connected as a church family. We've been saying uh, a one church in many homes and, and been able to come together like this. It's also good that uh, being online like this means that other people can come and check out what the message of church is like and uh, and do that without um, kind of exposure to a bunch of strange people that they're not sure about uh, and they can kind of watch church from a distance and see what that looks like. But today as we're going to get in uh, to this little message a bit later on as we come around communion, we're going to see that watching church uh, and, and and experiencing church, actually being here, are two uh, completely different things. Uh, while it's great and we can do it, watching church is a less enriched uh, experience, uh, a less enriched substitute, less relational substitute, uh, if you like, where we don't actually get to be able to come together and live out and and share the experiences with each other of, of deep heart change that the gospel brings into the life of an individual and then as that comes in a community, the, the, the deep heart change that, that is experienced in that community that's created by that of, of radical and unconditional love and generosity, uh, selfless service, uh, renewed worship priorities, all the things that we like to uh, hang our values of this community on. Watching church, you don't get to see and experience how how that gospel uh, takes natural-born enemies who were once divided by things like economics, uh, politics, social classes, uh, educational levels, race and gender, uh, and, and unites them, brings them together and unites them as brothers and sisters, but without the loss of culture, without the loss of race, without the loss of gender. These were things that used to divide us, used to be things that we would go to war over. But what we found is that there's level ground around the cross. The learned need just as much saving grace as those who uh, don't have an opportunity uh, to learn. The Jew, the Gentile, black, white, male, female, all alike need the same amount of saving grace. The religiously uh, superior, pious, uh, need the same amount of saving grace as the so-called uh, morally bankrupt. And we all come together and we look around this room when we're able to, and as we do, we look across and we see another saved sinner. Just saved, just like me, by the grace of God found in Jesus. And we marvel and we pour out our praise and we worship God who can do this, who, who, can, who can bring people together like this, who can create essentially what we all really long for, a renewed community of peace whose law is love, a place where you are home. 
and we are looking forward to the day where uh, we can all share in this again. And hopefully, uh, if you're one of those people who's online and just checking us out from the safety uh, of your lounge room uh, from that distance, uh, you will feel like you'll be able to come in and, and get to know us personally uh, and share in that. Uh, we'd love to be able to hear your story. And if you can't do that at Freeway, then I would encourage you to find a local church that loves Jesus and just plug in there. In the meantime, we have to be careful uh, that church doesn't become like Netflix, uh, just another choice to, to, to entertain us, but remains uh, a rhythm of intentional devotion uh, where we stop from all the other demands that, that we tie ourselves to and we spend time praising and thanking God for his goodness and his grace in our lives and nurturing uh, that faith uh, through through hearing his word, through praying and and those kind of things. So um, as we come this morning, we're, we're going to be coming around in a communion service very shortly. And as we do, let's let's pray. We're going to take a look at uh, what are some of the markers of grace that I've just been talking about now, that, what they look like and, and how they qualify us uh, to eat this meal together, uh, to share it and have a shared experience in Christ uh, around, around this table. So let's pray. And then we'll have a look at that. A loving Father, we thank you uh, for your church that emerges out of the good news that Jesus died to turn sinful people, people who, who are far from you, people who are at war with you, and, and by extension, we're at war with each other in varying degrees. Turn them into people who know, trust, and love you because we have experienced your unconditional love, your, your incredible forgiveness in us. And as a symptom of that experience, forgiveness and love, we are set free to treat other people likewise. And as we do, uh, we give you praise and thanks for this great reversal, uh, this deep heart change. And our, our, our prayer is that uh, this would bring glory to your name. Well, as I said this morning, uh, we're going to come to the communion table. And we're going to have a look at how uh, the symptoms of this grace, of the grace of this gospel serve in the church, serve in its people as living evidence um, to the transforming of our hearts. And it's those symptoms um, in our hearts and lives that qualify us to share this meal together that we call communion. We, we hold all these symptoms in common because they have a common origin in Christ and we share that experience. I'm just going to grab uh, five points uh, from our reading today and that that Sandy brought to us uh, in the end. And I know some of you are thinking, five points from Mason, perhaps we should have set a bigger table. Um, don't panic. Now, this passage is often seen as uh, like the ideal picture of the church, and for good reason. It's, it's a picture of the church at its best. The Holy Spirit is at work in this church, which is actually the, the first evidence that you have a church, that, that people have been saved. Uh, this church enjoys the, the, the favor of uh, the people around them. Uh, there's genuine relationships within and without. And also, this church is multiplying. It, it's growing uh, in depth and width, if you like. And inside this idyllic picture of the church, we see the practice of communion taking place. It's mentioned twice in this passage. Uh, the first time it's mentioned there in verse 42, it's mentioned just as a normative rhythm of church life. And then in the second time it's mentioned in, in verse 46, it's mentioned uh, with regard to where it's taking place, its location. 
we know from the four Gospels, from Matthew's account, Mark and Luke and John, uh, that communion, or the Lord's Supper as it's sometimes called, began with Jesus reframing the Passover meal uh, to be something, uh, be a reminder that would keep at the center of this new community that was emerging out of a faith in Jesus how Jesus had done this, how he had sacrificed his own body and his blood for their forgiveness of sin, uh, replacing all that the Passover meal symbolized and pointed to, uh, creating a common experience in Christ for us all. And we know that it holds an ongoing central place in the church right out of the gate because Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians uh, 11, that it's just a normative practice of worship and that it should be treated uh, very uh, respectfully. But here in Acts, we read that they broke bread in their homes. And that's probably because it's a new practice that's attached to the new covenant relationship that Jesus had established through his death and resurrection, kind of not something that would have been accepted in the temple, in the synagogue at that time. So they're in their homes, and just like you are, you, you are at the moment, but they're in their homes not merely as biological families. Uh, they're gathered there as the children, the family of God, believers coming together uh, in homes, uh, not merely just attending church and attending the temple, but coming together in their homes. And, you know, it's our hope uh, that we might look a little bit like this over the next few months uh, until our church is able to uh, open up again and invite us all in, that that two or three homes would be able to gather together in one home and and be able to stream our service in and share uh, that common experience of worship and prayer and and church together together. uh, each Sunday as, as regulations permit that to happen. But here's what we see, uh, uh, some of the symptoms or some of the things around being able to sit around this table and take communion together. The first, um, the first symptom, if you like, the first thing is that communion reminds us is that we have gone through a crisis of the soul. Uh, to break bread, to sit at the Lord's table means that, that you have been through a, a crisis of the soul. And what that means is that you realize, like the, the crowd realized, we, we grabbed the end of Peter's sermon, uh, uh, um, and they've all listened to Peter talk about Jesus and frame him up in history and, and all that kind of stuff, that apart from what Jesus has done for us on the cross, we will never be able to please God, and we will never be able to have our sin dealt with in a way that brings us back into life with God. That's the crisis. We come to that point. It means, and, and we've been cut to our heart by that, cut to our heart about by our own sin. It means that you see your need for, G- for Jesus, for forgiveness of sins found in him. God's grace toward humanity breaks in, breaks down the walls of human pride, of human rebellion, and saves him from a way of life that leads to death. And it comes via a crisis of the heart where the Holy Spirit dethrones uh, sinful identities, uh, a sinful ways of life. It's kind of described here as a sinful generation and transforms it into one of repentant truth and trust around Jesus and in Jesus. There's been an exchange of motives. There's been an exchange of culture, an exchange of a way of life out of a crooked generation, out of a one pattern of life that rejects God's grace and into one that drinks deeply from it, 
deep joy of new life uh, found in this message around Jesus. It's actually a crisis of the soul uh, that leads to contentment, uh, a crisis that resolves itself in joy. Well, the second thing uh, we read here, secondly, it's a crisis, if you like, the symptoms that lead, lead us to uh, a position of renewed learning. We're teachable. Uh, our pride goes away. Um, learning is another quality, another qualification to share uh, at this table. If you're a, a committed learner uh, to the apostles' teachings, that is, you come under the authority uh, of the apostles' teachings. They shape and form how you live and, and do your life. There, there arises in the heart of, of, of a Christian a desire uh, to know more of the promises attached to Jesus and how they intersect with our lives and how they turn our worlds upside down which for the early church came via the eyewitness preaching of the, the apostles at the temple at the time about how the life and death and resurrection of Jesus fulfills every promise of Scripture by God to deal with our sin and to bring us into new relationship with him. For us, it comes uh, to us out of the Bible via his word. Um, and we say yes to our common, lo- common love and our trust and our desire for God's word to be, if you like, real food uh, in our lives that, that, that nourishes our lives and, and enables us to come and share in this meal. Um, another point, to be able to come and sit around this Lord's table means that, that you are a part of a generous community, uh, a countercultural community, if you like. Uh, the third symptom is that that saving grace has actually visited your heart is that you are radically generous. Your resources are given over to caring for others, uh, not merely uh, supporting and looking after yourself. This meal represents all that Jesus gave for us, holding, holding nothing back. Look, you, you might uh, be able to eat of it, uh, but if you, if you aren't generous in heart, then you don't share in its message. You don't share in that common unity behind it. You can't have a common heart with Jesus if you are still trusting in stuff uh, for your security. However, what we see is when the gospel gets hold of a heart is joyful generosity, selfless sharing of resources for the well-being of others. We love because we have first been loved. We serve because we have first been served. We give because we have received an imperishable inheritance and rich life from God. You know, that's what fellowship looks like. It's not about tea and biscuits. It's the sharing of all things. It's the sharing of life uh, in common for the well-being of others. It's to be of one heart and mind about the teachings around Jesus so that they shape our lives together. Fourthly, to, to break bread and to be able to sit around this table means that you're a part of a, a community of renewed worship. Prayer and praise for God, we read through this passage here, for all that he has done for us in Jesus now becomes the, the new song of our heart. And we've seen this as we begin to travel through the Gospel of Luke about how the good news around Jesus gives us a new song to sing, a new song of our heart. We pour out our praise. We pour out our affection toward God rather than toward stuff and the things that he's given us. When you eat this meal, you are worshipping God for his grace to us in Jesus. And finally, 
uh, to break bread, to sit at this table means that you acknowledge that you have a common understanding that you are part of a witnessing community. All this renewed identity uh, needs to have some outward expression of transforming uh, truth and joy. Uh, we are the people of God uh, we, with this hope of freedom uh, in our hearts. Our song is a song of how great is the love of the Father. Our song uh, is a song uh, that God has loved us at our worst and, and still sought to come after us. Our song is that we have been ransomed, given life through Jesus' death and resurrection. Our song is that the Spirit has come to bring us life forever. We aren't the apostles, so we're not running around doing you know, crazy miraculous signs and wonders to give credibility to their gospel message as they establish it and plant the church. But our our message about Jesus, our sign and wonders, if you like, is primarily our transformed lives. When the church uh, demonstrates true neighborly love and relationships across all lines, across race, agenda and class, it demonstrates, it reveals how a life in Jesus leads to human flourishing. Um, and I think, you know, sometimes uh, we fill our communion cups with uh, Clorox or, or lemon juice rather than wine or juice, rather than the joy of life that comes out of knowing Christ. So this morning, as you break bread in your homes, I hope you, if you've got that prepared there, now's the time to, to gather around that and grab the, the bread and, and the wine. Uh, as you sit there in your homes, perhaps just as the early church did, give thanks with sincere hearts uh, for all that this meal represents. It represents all that Christ has done for us. It represents all that Christ is doing in us now as a community and also represents a promise that he will return and bring us home fully into that community in its full joy. So let's pray uh, and in your homes just serve each other uh, with the elements and then um, after I've prayed and after we've shared communion for a little while of quiet, they're going to invite the band uh, to come back on stage and then we're going to close our morning out by, by singing that song. Uh, we are uh, the people of God. Hey, loving God, we thank you for <coughs> this community that emerges out of your gospel. Uh, a community of people who have had their lives transformed and turned upside down so that they can move toward each other in love and generosity. Um, that when they see somebody who isn't being treated as equal, they are free to be able to raise them up and, and put them in the place where they need to be. Uh, we give you thanks that we are that we are, are kind of modeled this in Jesus, King of Kings, Creator of the universe came down, set aside his glory that he might come and, and, and just be in, our, be in our lives as messy as they are to pull us out of that mess and set us in this new community. We thank you for that. We thank you for how that wasn't just some kind of token example of life, but it was the actual giving of his life, the death that we deserve for all our sins, the loss of life was poured out on him that we could be renewed in new life his body broken his blood poured out which is symbolism which is literally happened but symbolism of sacrifice and the covering of sin 
And we give you thanks for that this morning. Now as we take this bread and we eat it, we remember all that Christ has done. And as we take the, the juice and the wine and we drink that, we remember all that Jesus has done for us. And as we do, we, we, we are just joyful about it. This should just bring into our lives a joy that just sets us free to be your witness to people. And we give you thanks for that this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.